Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Lynn Hightower has a degree in journalism from the University of Kentucky. She teaches classes in the UCLA Extension Writers Program, works with private clients as a manuscript consultant and writing coach, author of numerous thrillers, including the latest book, The Enlightenment Project. Lynn, it's a pleasure having you on the program. It's so great to be here. I really appreciate it. How did you get involved in the kind of possession, hauntings, and demonic end of what we're going to talk about tonight? Well, you know, like all of us, when I was, uh, years ago, I uh, saw the movie The Exorcist and uh, read the book, and I found it terrifying. And what really scared me was that it was based on an actual case. That's right. Yeah, and so... um, I really started wondering, well, what happened to um, the boy that the the, um, book was based on when he grew up? What kind of life did he have? And did he, you know, do you tell people? Do you tell someone you're dating, oh, by the way, I was possessed as a child, but I'm okay now. And and by the way, I I heard he just passed away in real life. Yeah. You heard that too? Say what? I heard he just passed away. I did not know that. You know, he never spoke publicly about it, but right. he did well. I mean, he got married, he had children, he had a career at NASA, but I did not know he had just passed away. Yeah, that's what I heard. I heard about that, heard that about six, seven months ago that he had passed oh, away. Oh, wow. But uh, the, the Exorcist movie, and I guess the book was even more telling, wasn't it? It was. It was. I remember reading it late at night, and... I just was absolutely terrified, had to have all the lights on. And when I wrote the um, Enlightenment Project, same thing. I was terrified. I had to have all the lights on. I had to have my very big dog beside me. Well, you're going to get a kick out of this. Part of the exorcism of the little boy, in reality, took place in St. Louis, where I'm spending a lot of time these days. And it was in the Election Brothers Hospital, which is no more. But really? after after the exorcism... They gave away or sold off the furniture that was in that room of the hospital that the little boy was in. And people who bought the furniture or got it started talking about being possessed and having strange things happen to them. It's like the spirits attach themselves to that stuff. Yes, and you know, uh, that's called an infestation. And maybe uh, from the exorcists um, I studied and talked to, they say about 80% of their cases are infestations, which cause hauntings and um, cause people, you know, to either become possessed or either to feel oppressed, you know. And it's the actual object or the place. So what a scary thing to do, because I knew they sealed the room up, but selling off the furniture... I mean, that's just cruel. It is. It didn't work. I, and I would hate to have been one of the people to buy it. My Me God. too. <laughs> Were you possessed as a kid? Me? No, I wasn't. Were you? No. No. Good. Not at all. <laughs> but, you know, who'd admit it, right? Nothing strange like that ever happened to me. I mean, did you have any kinds of experience like that? Um, interesting. Not really, but as an adult, I have lived in two haunted houses, um, and it was uh, very uncomfortable and very terrifying. The first one um, 
we bought it. And then, and then about a month after we moved in, I went down in the basement and I found a jar labeled holy water. And I thought, oh, this can't be good. If someone's left a jar of holy water in the basement, this is not a good sign. And it, it was a very haunted place. We stayed there about seven months and then we got out. Now tell us about your work, The Enlightenment Project. Well, um, so Noah Archer is very much like this boy that was um, possessed as a child, and he's, it, he keeps it as a sort of shameful secret. You know, he doesn't want anybody to know. He doesn't know why he was singled out, and he feels like the less, you know, time he's been thinking on it, the better. But it's what uh, compels him to become a neurosurgeon it, because he's studying the brain. He's trying to figure out, you know, what happened and even more, can I make sure it doesn't happen to me again? So he initiates um, research that he calls the Enlightenment Project where he stimulates the neurons across the brain of his patients and and his goal is to uh, treat chronic depression, addiction, um, and uh, it's the the uh, outcome is phenomenal. His patients are doing incredibly well, and then there's the ones that are not doing well. And what happens is it's opened up the door to the darkness, right? Because they choose. They're meditating. They can go to the light side, or they can go to the dark side, and they do. And you're convinced, Lynn, that the dark side exists. Yeah, I am. I think there's yin and yang. The the uh, the light and the unseen world and the dark, you know, and, and I do think that there's a sort of balance out there. There, there are some doctors who believe that the demonic possession is really a psychiatric condition or a mental disorder. Well, that's really interesting because these days, um, exorcisms have gone so mainstream that the, um, the exorcists Priests are the ones who are the skeptics, and they have to be convinced that the possession is real. And the one thing they're going to do is rule out, is it a mental disorder? You know, it's, it's now recognized as an actual psychiatric condition. So I talked to a couple of therapists, a therapist and a psychiatrist, and I said, well, how do you rule out mental illness, okay? And um, what they told me is that Mental illness is internal. It comes from within. Right. And so what they decide when they rule that out is that whatever is tormenting these patients and they're not able to be helped with therapy protocols or medication and they, you know, talk to them and study it, it comes externally. So when they decide it's coming externally, then they move to possession. Aren't exorcisms at an all-time high right now? I think they've quadrupled. It's it's shocking um, how prevalent it is. Most of the exorcism teams I talk to are pretty much run off their feet, um, and it's really escalated during the pandemic. Um, there's an exorcism team in California that um, I've got a letter on my desk from them, and they and uh, they said that a lot of people of very good will, you know, they are not blaming the people this happened to, um, are are feeling tortured and feeling tormented, and we have, we are barely able to keep up. How many of them are priests? Um, 
on the team, well, they have a combination of the exorcist priest, and then they have uh, lay people that are there to assist. Um, they have they consult doctors and they consult psychiatrists, and you know, only about five percent of the people who are having issues are actually full on possessed. Most people are not, so they're very careful. Um, they only they don't want to do any harm. They don't want to put you through an exorcism when what you really need is counseling or medication or maybe you have a brain tumor. They've got to roll all of that out. So they're kind of hard to convince, and it takes quite some time. You know, it's gotten to be a pretty seriously red tape bureaucratic process to get through. Well, and the Catholic Church is into it in a big way now, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Their exorcism ministry has really escalated because years ago it was kind of like, it was a secret. They didn't want people to know about it. They didn't talk about it. And it's still, um, but now it's mainstream. You can you can go on YouTube and see priests, exorcist priests, who will talk about it and tell you about their experiences, um, which shocked me because when I was doing research, I'm like, wait, what, YouTube? Oh, okay, I'll go listen. You know, I'm fascinated. I almost had a chance to interview one of the priests in the actual exorcism. But he died. I never, been, I never was able to get to him. Oh, that would have been so. Would have been a classic interview. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, they went through a lot, didn't they? They did. They did. And um, you know, uh, I, I was studying the the priests' reactions and their fears, and it's so funny. They're very different. Some of them are like, "Oh, it's just another day at the office," right? And others of them are say, well, no, really, we do come under attack. A lot of times it's psychological where we'll feel depressed and oppressed, you know. And um, they have, you know, demons text them. That just blew me away. That They're in the high technology now. Huh? <laughs> know. They said, you know, we'll be on our way to um, an exorcism session. We'll get a text that says, She's ours now, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's so creepy. God, that is creepy. <laughs> I would not want to be texted that way at all. So Talk about possessions. Accidents like uh, car trouble, tires fall off, near misses when they're en route. So, I don't know, I think it's pretty tricky, a little scary. I mean, some of it you'd have to chalk up to real bad luck and stuff like that, but some Absolutely. of the other stuff, who knows, right? Yeah, it just seems like, if it happens a little too often and it's always connected to that, I would be getting suspicious. Isn't there an exorcism hotline set up in Italy, Lynn? Yes, they set it up in Milan in 2012, and it has had so many callers, it just keeps going down. You know, and um, and in Italy, there every year there'll probably be uh, half of a million um, exorcisms. Yeah, it's very that many possessed people. Yeah, if it's, there's an exorcism, they only do it when people are actually possessed. Deeply possessed, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people, a half a that million. That's a lot of people. When you consider the rate of possession is about 5%, you know, it's, why is everybody so tormented? And, you know, I thought, well, is it just escalating? But what my studies have told me and what I've been reading from the sociologists that have studied it, they said it has always been like this in every culture. And so nowadays, people, um, they're maybe not um, involved in an organized religion, and so they're just um, asking for help, 
anywhere they can get it. And so it's becoming more mainstream because people aren't going to suffer in silence. They're going to say, hey, listen, I need somebody to help me. Something really weird is going on. In your opinion, Lynn, why are people being possessed in the first place? Why are they being possessed? That's such a good thing to think about. Um, I think that the darkness is out there. Um, and there are unexplained supernatural things around us. And I think um, as we become very spiritual, we get very intrigued by it. And um, so, you know, you wouldn't want to invite it in, um, but um, I just think it's always been out there. I think that people are always vulnerable to things like that. But I will tell you this. As, as one priest told me, you always have autonomy over your soul. Can the person being possessed be killed by the demon that's within? No. The demon that was, is within can drive them to suicide. Okay. And that is can, often their goal. Or murder. Yeah. Exactly. Doing dark and terrible things. Okay. Yeah, it can drive them to that. But it is never, uh, they just don't have, from what I've read, that kind of power over you. Okay. They can torment you, but it's up to you where it goes. I mean, just yesterday in Sacramento, there was a horrible story of a guy who killed his three kids killed himself, killed his wife in the process, probably before he shot the three kids, in a church. How do yeah, we know that person wasn't possessed? You know, it does give you an explanation for all the very dark evil that comes. And I, I you know, I couldn't tell you if he was possessed, but it, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Uh, one of the therapists I talked to, I had asked him, I said, well, do you think any of your patients were possessed? And he said, you know, they didn't say they were or think they were, but when I look back on it, there was so much darkness around them that it wouldn't surprise me to learn that they were. What do you think these demons are really after? What they're after? Yeah, I mean, do they gain some kind of uh, psychic strength by being in somebody, possessing them? What do they, what do they want? I don't think they gain strength. I think that that kind of presence is chaotic and miserable, and um, and they want to spread that around, and they want the people they torment to be miserable and tormented and harassed and oppressed and depressed. And it's almost like they're psychopaths. Almost but not well, quite? Worse. <laughs> worse. Worse. Yeah. Yeah. They're just very incredibly dark and very chaotic, and they just bring um, misery. Was there an episode for you that made you realize that this is the real deal? That this was what? The, the real deal, that something happened? No. Uh, just what I studied and just talking to priests and people. Now, I would say that, um, you know, the hauntings that might be manifestations did make me wonder if something really bad was there. And there are places where it's so dark that I'm like, 
I don't care what anybody believes. I'm not going here. There's something really dark here, and I don't want to be close to it. Is science studying this situation at all, Lynn? Well, sociologists are studying it, um, and um, they have a um, you know a classic example of the kind of person who will wind up to be full on possessed, and and so. Um, I was kind of shocked at the the model of the average possessed individual because it's a male between the ages of 40 and 50, and he's very highly educated and very successful uh, in his business and in the world, usually wealthy, and and, and that that really surprised me. What happened to Linda Blair? I don't know. (laughs) You know, they turned it into a girl, but it was... Rolando was a boy, yeah. um, you know, so that is your um, that is your average possession victim. What do you think happened to that little kid? I mean, how would a little boy get possessed by a demon? Well, you know, um, the, what they said... Did he play with the Ouija that, board or something like that? Yeah, and I think that what happens is, you know, if you use a Ouija board... I don't know, but I would think the issue is if you say to the world, hey, anybody, anything out there, come talk to me. Well, I mean, that's a pretty scary invitation because you don't know what's going to wander in and talk to you. So it's not necessarily the board itself. It's how you use it and how you might open yourself up Maybe it's a joke, maybe it's a game, maybe if you just think, you know, what would come would be something wonderful and lovely, and, and, and it's not. You think somebody could be tricked? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Absolutely, that's uh, often what uh, they do, you know, and, um, but you'll know pretty quickly because it'll be dark, and it'll be tormenting, and it'll be mean. So you'll know that it's nothing good. What percent, Lynn, do you think these cases are really psychiatric? Oh, probably, I don't know what the percentage is, but if only 5% are are full-on possessed, I would say there's um, plenty of people who have mental conditions, um, you know, depression and um, schizophrenia and, disassociation. So I'd say there's a pretty high percentage of that. And, yeah. and they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do. And if they wind up with an exorcism team, they will they will um, see that they get help. You know, I, I had a guest on years ago who talked about what makes a person get possessed. And, right. and he said uh, if they're inebriated uh, in that situation, they're more apt to get possessed in that state of mind. Because you're vulnerable, I guess. You don't have your defenses up, and you're kind of wide open, so that's possible. And they just take you. Hmm. But I wonder what they want. They want you... They want your soul? Yeah. They they want you to be miserable and unhappy and um, just drive you insane. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.